Thank you, Tanner. And it is it's good to be together. Good to open God's Word together. Um, man, if, if you're visiting or, or this is one of your first Sundays being here, uh, just know that, that it is an honor to have you here. It really is. And, and we're believing that no one is here accidentally. We're, our, our prayer for many years now has been that we wouldn't play at church, that we wouldn't come and just kind of be like, hey, and then we leave, but actually come with our lives and who we really are and where we're really at, and then lock arms together and look to him together. Um, that's, that's really, you know, it'd be a waste of our time to just come and play a game and leave, and so we're actually wanting this to be a genuine moment for all of us and for God to actually speak to us uh, through his word. And um, where we're at, we preach through books of the Bible most Sundays, and we're preaching through the book of Genesis. And let me just tell you, it's going to be a wild ride between now and the beginning of the year. And I'd love for you to be a part of that as we go through these last 18 chapters of Genesis. Um, In some ways, I thought of Genesis like watching game film, that one of the reasons that you kind of like watch it over and over and kind of like back up, watch, back up and watch it again, back up and watch it again. And it's like, what are you doing? Well, there's something there that is happening that you know, like maybe that's the way the team will, will perform with me. And so like I'm watching this for when I'm in the game. And that's one of the reasons you're watching game film is because it's the same team that you're playing against. And in... The illustration will break down, so don't think too deeply about it, but in some ways, the Word of God is game film. It's us watching God's plays with other people, knowing that he's the same today. And so we get it. Let me hear what he said again. Play that back. What did he say? What did he say? And then to realize, like, he's saying that to me, too, because it's who he is, and, uh, and his kindness is towards me as it is towards whoever it may be. So, so where we're at in Genesis 32 is Jacob. His name means con man in, in our language. Um, you know, hey, I'm con man. <laughs> nice to meet you, con man. You know, uh, and you'd watch your back. But that's who he is. And he conned his brother out of his brother's rightful inheritance. And 21 years ago, his brother vowed to kill him. And it was not an empty threat. He genuinely vowed, I am, as soon as my parents are out of the picture, I am killing him. And so Jacob fled 21 years ago, where we're at here in the text. Jacob fled and has been in hiding for 21 years. Esau doesn't know where he's been. And, but also what's been happening is that his father-in-law, uh, well, his what ended up happening is basically he was getting conned to work 21 years for a wife that he was desiring to marry, Rachel. And so now, after all of that that we've already walked through, he's now going home. God has very clearly said, go home, and he's going home. And verse 1 of chapter 32 starts by saying, Jacob went on his way. And remember, he's going you know, like when you, for 20 years, I lived out, out of Iowa after growing up here in Collins Maxwell, and like I knew, it was so familiar to me going home. I knew the way, I, I was excited to see the landmarks as I, was, as I was coming back to Iowa, and I, 
for Jacob, he's going to the known, but he's going to the unknown. He doesn't know what it's going to be like as he's returning, but he's going. He's going into the known and the unknown. And so verse 1, Jacob went on this way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So in the middle of going somewhere, known and unknown, like it had to have been so refreshing for him to be like, oh, God is here. Oh, good, good, he is here. Okay, so I am going to a place where I see God is there and I'm going to intercept and meet Esau too. And he has no evidence right now either way how Esau is thinking about him, but he knows it's very possible that Esau is planning to try to kill him in the next days to come. And, and so, but he knows God is here. So then Jacob sees this, and then he decides to send ahead some of the men to check the temperature of Esau. Verse three, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. And these are all, archaeology has proved, these are all countries, cities, and stuff that were uh, major places at this time in history. Um, we even, they even have, uh, from this time, we're going to see uh, inscriptions of Jacob in this new identity that we're going to come across today, too. Um, so all of this is, is affirmed in the archaeological record. And so here, he is instructing these guys in verse 4. Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, which is his uncle, but also Esau's uncle. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight." So Jacob instructs these guys, go and find Esau, your Lord. So he's looking at these guys being like, go find Esau, your Lord, and call me his servant, which is respectful. Like it, It's a respectful way for them to talk, but I also think that the way he is even setting this up is, is kind of betraying reality. What is factual is that Jacob has been blessed by God. Jacob has been given the inheritance. Jacob has been giving these promises that were to Jacob's grandfather Abraham, Jacob's father Isaac. So there's these major promises that if God promises your family these really major things, you're going to know. Like here in Iowa, like if you're going to inherit like a big farm, you of all people will know the terms of the inheritance, right? You'll be like, oh, I don't know. I just never, I just, I'm not even sure. Do I? It's like, no, I know more than anybody does what I am supposed to inherit. And so, so these people know what, what the lines of blessing are. They know what the lines of inheritance are. And what Jacob is saying is the opposite because what God is saying is, Jacob, you are over Esau, and I don't want to like overinterpret just this greeting, but it also starts, it's like 
Jacob seems to be on shaky ground of who he is. What is my identity? You know, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, God has given me all these promises. Then when he comes about Esau, he's like, oh, my Lord, oh, I am your servant. You know, it's like, whoa, what, what's going on here? It just, like, that's, that's not who you are. And what you see is that his identity is malleable. Jacob's, who Jacob is, is formable. It's soft. It's open to others to define who he is. And so Jacob instructs these men to say, hey, tell, tell Esau that for 21 years I've been with Laban and I've never left, I never went on vacation, I never went home to see relatives. And he says he's gotten many oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. And you can look at these as in a cultural way too, of like he has lots of employees who are with him because of a lot of his livestock that he has to be cared for. And what is fascinating here is that Jacob doesn't mention that he has kids. And he doesn't mention that he is married. And it seems like what Jacob is hedging his bets a little bit, that if Esau is still bent on killing me, so that he can get the inheritance instead of me, that I don't want him to know that I'm married and I have 11 kids because he will be meditating on killing them because they would get the inheritance. So I'm not gonna mention my kids because if he's trying to kill me, he's gonna start thinking about killing my kids too, which I know this is like intense stuff to talk about on a Sunday morning, but this, he's living an intense life I don't know if some of you might, hopefully none of us are living this type of a life, but he is living an intense life right now, and um, he, he is just wanting to test the waters of how Esau is feeling. Is Esau still plotting what he was plotting 21 years ago? Is he still thinking about, has the rage grown? Has the bitterness grown? So verse 6 is what he hears next, and verse 6 is not what he, did, what he wanted to hear next. Verse 6 is Jacob's worst nightmare. Verse 6, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. And you could say, well, maybe he just thought, Oh, great, we're going to have a party. Like, look what he's... Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So Jacob is like, oh, this is my worst nightmare. 400 guys coming to meet me, we are done. So he divided, verse seven, second half, he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And it doesn't say here that Jacob got nervous. It doesn't think that he's like, well, there's a 50-50 chance that maybe they're here for good, coming at me to, for good reasons. Like the way that Jacob is seeing this, being greatly afraid and distressed, is Jacob is pretty convinced that Esau and these guys are coming with the worst intentions towards him and his family. 
and Esau, where Jacob had grown, it's like, wow, my brother now is leading an army of 400 guys. And, you know, maybe he thought about going back to Laban, but it seems like in his heart, he's just like, I can't go back. So I guess we just got to stay here and see what happens. And Jacob divides his group into two groups. And what he is thinking is, if Esau starts attacking and trying to kill that first group, we can try and get away while they're occupied with killing only half of my family. And of course, Jacob places himself in the back group. Jacob very rightly and very importantly prays. Verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred. I love that he's thinking about what God has said to him. Like, I'm praying to the one who told me to be here right now. Who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm, I'm right here. I am not worthy. I love this. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. He is thinking about his wives. He is thinking about the children. Verse 12. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Like you're saying, there's going to be so many of us, you can't even count them. And it, there's, I can count 400. I love how real, Jay, I mean, we could do a whole sermon just on this prayer and how, like, watching game film, hey, where's my life like that right now? What have I heard him say to me? Have I heard him say anything to me? Maybe I need to ask people. Maybe I don't know him well enough to say, like, what has he said to me? Has he said anything to me? If he has, I want to know. But he's, he's playing back and he's speaking. What I love is like Jacob is looking destruction in the eye. His heart, while he's doing that, is full of thinking about how far God has gotten him already. And he's this man that's known for being a con man. He's known for being someone who like can make things appear better than they really are or can... can shift things in a way where, where we're not in reality anymore and it's just playing to his narrative. And what I love is like in this honest moment, he speaks truth. He speaks reality. He's not trying to, to, to trick anybody. He's actually clinging to what he knows is real because he doesn't know quite what's real with Esau moving towards him, but he knows God is real. What God has said to me is real. What God has done for me to get me this far is real. While staring at destruction in the eye, he turns his eyes to God and his heart to just swimming in the promises of God. Now, one of the things that he leaves out that I, I was like, man, I wish, I, I, th I think it's still growth for Jacob. 
and, and where this is going, I think God is teaching him things, is like he's, he's holding on to the promises that God has given him. But one of the things he's not meditating on right here is that one of the things that God said, he gave him all these promises, and then he said, and I will be with you. I'm gonna be right there with you. No matter where you go, I will be with you. So he's been given these promises and given God's presence. And man, like that's a huge, been a big growth for me just over the last year is like clinging to promises, but also being like, you are with me right here. I, I know you are with us. Like I, 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 can, I can breathe right now because you're breathing next to me. You know, I mean, it's, it's like that, um, maybe some of you were the, were the big strong guy that stood behind the, the weak kid, you know, where it's like, you know, when, who's getting bullied and then they see you and they're like, oh, never mind, I'm not gonna mess with, mess with this kid. Or maybe you were the kid or maybe you were the bully, <laughs> whoever you were in, in that picture. But like, you know, that's kind of like a story that we all kind of have some level of experience where it was like, I was gonna beat you up until I saw the guy standing behind you or whatever it may be. And, and like Jacob could have just also just said like, God, you are here, you are with me. I'm, I'm clinging to your promises and your presence. Um, here's what Jacob does from this prayer. Verse 13, so he stayed there that night and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. He took a present. So he looks around, he says, okay, I'm gonna give my brother a present for his brother Esau. Verse 14, here's the present. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. So like all the camels are together. Then he, the next group. He instructed the first group, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do these belong? Where are you going? Whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to, you, to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. So Jacob is just giving him, giving him. Verse 19, he likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes on ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see him face to face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the, the present, so all of that is one present. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the back in the camp. So it was so right for Jacob to pray, and it was wrong. This is wrong. It was wrong for Jacob to try to appease Esau by trying to give him 550 of his livestock. And we're not ever given the total. We don't know if he gave him everything. 
if he gave him 10%, we don't know, but we know he gave him 550 of these animals. Remember, what, what, the, what all of this is representing that we, we saw earlier is how much God is fulfilling his promises in Jacob's life, blessing him. And is it like, is it wrong to like give? It's like, no, like scripture speaks in a ton of places about at times just like giving what we have. Like, you know, Jesus lifts up this lady who gave everything she had to the Lord. But what's happening here is that Jacob is giving up everything that God is saying, like, I'm giving this to you to start a nation. And he's like, I realize that. Esau, will you not hurt me? And so this is a totally different type of trying to, trying to make things work in a way that, you know, think about his family. <laughs> think about, like, all of these servants and these employees that, that had seen God, like, just give so much to their family and be like, okay, we're going to go start a new nation. And Jacob's like, let's just give it all to Esau, or let's give a ton of this to Esau. And Jacob gives up way too much, trying to get out of a hard place. Jacob's trying to get out of a hard place, and he's giving up way too much. Instead of realizing God's promises and just clinging to God's presence. Been like, hey, I'm not... Let's just see what he does. You know, I, I feel like we can, we can do this. I mean, we can, we can give up so much to try to keep the peace. You know, we can, we can give up our body to people saying, like, would you define me? Tell me I'm beautiful or whatever. And it's like, whoa, you're giving up way too much for, for what God says of you. And, and you're, you're trying to give up so much that God has given to you. And it could be money. It could be, it could be our time. It could be our passions where it's like, whoa, why are you giving that to that when, when like the Lord should be satisfying you and identifying you and saying who you are? And there's this great temptation that we even see in Jacob where it's like when I'm in the furnace, when life feels so unknown, feels so out of control, it seems so destined for failure that there's this great temptation to just forget God, forget his promises, forget his presence. Maybe we'll get back to him once things settle down. But it's like, well, what was the cost of all of that time of not trusting him and, and clinging to him to see you through? And so Jacob is offering Esau all of this just that Esau would accept him is the goal. And Esau in this moment is huge and God is small. It's probably just the best way to say it. If you just are like, you know, you bump into Esau in the middle of this, you're like, hey man, how's it going? Uh, you just happen to be in the desert with him. And it's like, you, I think you would just be like, man, this Esau guy seems huge. And who's this God you speak of? He seems kind of tiny compared to Esau. And um, man, when the moment gets big, like, this is the right time for Jacob to keep his God big. Like, when the moment gets big, this is the time to let God get bigger, actually, in your life. You know, he's, he's not, like, shrinking and getting, it's, it's from our perspective, how we view him. And so, what I love here is Jacob isn't seeing it, so the Lord of heaven and earth moves towards him. 
beautiful, this is a beautiful section of scripture is verse 22. See what happens in verse 22. So the same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. So picture Jacob sending his closest people across the river. It's a river that still exists today, the Jabbok River. And so now everything, all of his family and possessions are between him and Esau. And he is at the far back. He's in the safe zone. He's in the safe place. Everyone will be affected until him. This is not a courageous move by Jacob. He is not leading the charge with his family. He's not, he's not being a man I think in the way that God has created uh, men to lead and step into moments like this. So verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So for the rest of the night, him and this guy are wrestling. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And I, I'm not a big wrestler, but I imagine if your hip is out of the socket, it's hard to wrestle. Then he said, the man said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? The man says to Jacob, what is your, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose, up, rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. He would limp for the rest of his life. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do, do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The Israelites were really big with like doing things in the course of their daily life that reminded them of the game film. And so every time they would eat a meal, they wouldn't eat even certain parts of the food because they were reminding each other of the game film. So... Jacob had sent everyone ahead to meet Esau. He would be the last. He isn't being courageous. He's being cowardly. This man comes to the safe zone to wrestle with him. And uh, it's, it's this, this whole wrestling match is fascinating. Like, I feel like I could just start right now and go for like an hour, like just about this. And I'm not going to because I love you. But, um, but it would be good for us to, to dive deeply into this. Um, it is endlessly fascinating what is happening here, and it is fascinating that Jacob wins the wrestling match. Um, 
I think it, my, my son Silas is now like getting to the point where like he'll, he'll want to wrestle and I'll be like, I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> so let's not, you know, it like used to be a fair wrestling match and now it's like, I'm feeling pretty good. Can we go fishing instead, you know, or something like wrestling? But what, what I love is like Jacob beats this guy. They wrestle all night long. But this guy just like goes boom and like puts his hip out of the socket. You know, it's like, I'm pretty sure this guy could definitely beat him. <laughs> it's not like, it be, and what we learn later is that this is God wrestling him. And it's a man, a God man wrestling with Jacob. And this like can only be Jesus. There is no other reality other than among the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, like this is Jesus who isn't even sharing his name because he hasn't come in the flesh yet. And he is the pre-incarnate Jesus, which before his incarnation, wrestling with Jacob and letting himself get beaten. But not like badly. Jacob never boasts about it, be like, hey, I'm big and strong. I can beat God there's a sense of like, these guys are sweating together. They are breathing hard together. I mean, I have wrestled enough to know like after like 10 minutes, I'm really, really tired. And so for guys to be wrestling for hours, like their hair is in their face, their, their spit is on each other. I mean, like it is like a very close, personal interaction that is happening here. And they don't know each other's names. <laughs> what I love, though, is like Jesus absolutely knows who this guy is. He knows, you know, it's not like just stumbling across somebody and decide to wrestle him. He is, t- he is tackling Jacob. He's coming to get him, and he's wrestling, and he wants to hear his name. And I just love how, like, Jacob, Jacob beats this guy even though he cripples him for life. Um, and they're wrestling and Jesus is like, what's your name? I'm Jacob. And what I love is he's like, you're not, you're, you're Israel. And if you see, like, this is his MO. Like, Jesus has this incredible thing about him that I think he even has <clears throat> nicknames for all of us that actually become our real name. Uh, so he, he renames, like, Peter is one of the famous guys that he, 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 he renames a guy and the name is a big part of like his relationship with this guy. He renamed Saul of Tarsus to Paul. Like Jesus is in the renaming people. And what I love is like, if I wrestle somebody, like if I just show up and I wrestle somebody and I beat them and they try to rename me, I'd be like, That's, no, I just beat you. You can't rename me. Like, you know, maybe somebody who like had way authority over me could like like my parents name me. But what I love is like the one who allowed himself to be beaten has the power to rename Jacob. Say, hey, this is who you are. And a lot of people debate on what Israel, the El is God, Elohim. Um, so it's like, what's Isra mean, Israel? Um, and so it, it can mean strive with God, um, stuff like that. One scholar that I spent the week uh, kind of looking into 
I just speak the whole week on this, but I, I looked into this week, like, different scholars and different things that they said, like, Israel could mean, and the most, like, convincing argument that I thought uh, I heard was that it means God rules. Like, it's like, hey, con man, God rules. And yeah, you just, like, <clears throat> I let you beat me in one sense, but it, it's not... It's not written that way. That's why like, we could endlessly look at this. And what I love is like, if we didn't have Jacob's words, it would be a lot more confusing to us. But what I love is Jacob says, uh, well, so, yeah, Jacob says in verse 30, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. So he's wrestling with Jesus, and he is blown away that he was allowed to live. I, 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 I love that, you know, even though he won. And, but also, what's crazy is someone that he's just defeated, Jacob says in verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I don't know, I mean, I'm trying to picture this. I don't know if, like, Jacob has him in a headlock, you know, and Jesus is like, you know, they're in this headlock, and he's like, I will not let you go. I mean, and they're, I mean, wrestling for hours. So they're, they're probably gasping for air, and he's like, you know, I need you to bless me. Like, I, I need you. I mean, it's really what he's like in this wrestling match and saying, like, I can't let you go if you're going to let me go. I think it's probably what he's saying is like, I can't let you go if you're going to let me go. And we're going to, I can do this all day if you're going to let me go. But if I know you're not going to let me go, like, then I'll, I'll release you. And I think there's just this weird thing that God is doing that just feels upside down, which is like the powerful one is allowing himself to be beaten for the blessing of those who are clinging to him. Like, the, the, the powerful God of the universe is saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm beaten so that they won't be beaten. I'm taking it so that they won't take it. And I love that Jacob's just holding on, saying, like, if you're going to let me go, I'm going to do this as long as I can do it because I don't know what's out there. And I don't, and next, next week is going to be what actually happens when these 400 guys come and what plays out after that. But I th like this is the game film for us. Like it, it really is. It's like he, the same one who is wrestling with Jacob, is standing in front of the most powerful people of Rome and is saying, I could call 100 million angels to take all of you guys out. And he just stands, he, he lets himself be brutally killed, taking all of the punishment that all of us, he's, he's our representative, he's the second Adam. Adam represented us by sinning and that runs through our veins. And Jesus represented us as the second Adam, saying, I'm going to live life in their place. I'm going, to, I'm going to be beaten for them. And any who come to me, any who cling to me, any who look to me, I guarantee them life. 
And it's a prayer I guarantee to answer every time someone looks to me for it. And, and I love that, that this is how he is interacting with Jacob. I, I love that on the very front end of all that God's going to do through the, these people, that um, he's saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. And this is kind of what this looks like, being with you. Um, and man, I, he's, he promises us all the same things which is why we could spend another hour. And, and that's just why we're in community groups. This is why we, we show up every week is because we're feasting on all of this. We're feasting on what, what he's done for us. And, and what I would just, here's what I would just ask you, is if you don't know this Jesus, if, if you've never known this Jesus, maybe you've heard his name, but you haven't, you ha, like, you haven't wrestled with him in these ways. You haven't let him um, get that close to you. You know, maybe you're afraid, like, what's my life going to look like if I get that close to him? Um, man, I, I would just let him come that close and see what happens and see what, see, see what he does in your life and give your life to him and you will find life. And for those of us who, who have given our lives to him, have come to him, and maybe we're, we're starting to see things like Esau on the horizon. And we're starting to be like, man, I, that's starting to look really big and really scary and really unknown. And, and this is us coming to the table was Jesus's idea saying, come close. Actually take these elements inside of you. Like I'm, I'm working from the inside out in my people and, and I'm, I'm looking to do a work from the inside out. And so, so Lord, I just wanna look to you with my friends, as we come around you, as we come around your word. And if there are people in this room that maybe just think you're a joke, um, Lord, I, I pray that maybe you would just, just put one, one thing in them that maybe lets them see um, who you are. Um, if there are people in here that, that have never imagined you getting that close, um, to them, to their lives, that so you're actually not just for like kind of those people, but you're actually coming after me. Um, Lord, would we let you that close? Um, giving our lives to you as you gave your life for us and as you want to call us into an incredible mission. See us safely home. And for those of us who have come to you and maybe just need a fresh meeting with you, a fresh vision of, of your presence and your promises in our lives and so that the Esau's in our lives would, would get appropriately much smaller as you get appropriately bigger in our lives and our hearts and our minds and our desires, Lord, uh, increase our faith. Would we decrease so you could increase? Lord, would you just make this a supernatural moment as we commune with you, we pray. So as he designed communion, um, he, we're taught to, to spend some moments letting him speak to us. If there's things that he wants to invite us to repent of, maybe we've been holding bitterness towards other people that we need to move towards other people um, in moving towards him. Um, let's do all of that. Um, if, if you don't know where you're at with Jesus, you can just talk to him about that. You can talk to somebody around you that you know, know knows him, that you can meet him as well. Um, I would love to be a part of that if, if that would be okay. 
um, and Silas and Lane will, will serve us. So just we'll come forward. Um, when you're ready, they'll hand you the, the bread that was his body given for us. Wine or juice, obey your conscience. We'll take the elements, go back to our seats, and remain standing. We'll take it together as family. So let's all respond to him.